telling stories from the EGA Clubhouse. Hello, everyone. Welcome to EGA's podcast, Telling Stories from the Clubhouse. This is Rajeshree Sharma, creative head and partner at Audio Magic, a localization studio in Mumbai, India. And today we're speaking to Jacques Barrow and Will Brown Hernandez about casting in animation. So today I have here with me two living legends who've done it all when it comes to dubbing animation. <laughs> they have a plethora oh of knowledge and I'm, I'm really grateful to them for being for willing to share it with us here today and enhance our knowledge about casting for animation. Let's begin with Shark. Shark Baro, the Dean of Dubbing. I love this title. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> He's the Vice President of Media and Interactive Entertainment for Transperfect Media Next, where he guides dubbing and voiceover innovations to enhance entertainment media. He has an enviable bunch of clients and companies that he has worked for. Amazon, Netflix, Lucasfilm, Turner Broadcasting. He has shaped retelling of several stories during his long stint at Warner Brothers. Jacques, please tell us more about your illustrious career. So, um, you know, I spent the, uh, the last four years at Transperfect. Uh, I joined four years ago and... Um, it was a big change for me coming from the client side where I spent 20 years at Warner Brothers. Um, so at Transperfect, I'm more uh, in, uh, in the research, uh, introducing uh, Dubbing Academy, introducing cloud recording. So uh, <clears throat> it's a very complimentary job for me. So very happy to be there. Lovely, lovely. And of course, Will Brown Hernandez, as most of us know, manages international dubbing creative at DreamWorks Animation. It's a dream job, Will. Yes, he is it is. <laughs> He's been an active voice actor and his experience with localization as a dubbing and subtitling expert. His skills as a video director have landed him several enviable titles. Will, please tell us some more about yourself. Well, well, thank you, Raj. Uh, well, and I, I have to point out, my, my career as a voice uh, actor is very, very, very small, mostly doing Walla or, you know, one line parts that, that needed uh, somebody last minute. Um, I, but I did work as a voiceover director in English and in Spanish, and I took uh, the opposite career, the track from Jacques, where I went from the vendor side to the studio side. And uh, I, yeah, now working at, at DreamWorks, where I, we joke that it's a dream job, but it really, it really is. We get to work uh, closely with the uh, productions as they develop shows. So we get to see them early on and uh, develop very detailed dubbing uh, strategies for them that are attuned to each show. Um, it, it's great. It's, it's the, an ideal situation. Lovely, lovely. So I mean, I'm, I'm talking to the two most amazing people in localization today. <laughs> Let's, let's I'm actually... blushing. I don't know about you, Jacques, but I'm blushing at this point. Ah, yes, me too. Nothing <laughs> <laughs> in comparison to what I'm going through here. <laughs> well, so uh, let's talk about the importance of choosing the right voices for animation. So, I mean, animation is all about voice acting, right? I mean, it's all attributed to the voice actor ultimately, the way he portrays emotions, the character. So, what do you think about? Um, about this. Casting is all that animation depends upon. Well, I mean, I, I think 
I, I do want to say, I mean, the, the animation itself is, is critical as well. The, the, the way the characters are drawn, the way that they're designed, the way that their emotions are registered by, by the animation, it's really important. But animation, the, the voice actor has to do a lot of work in that voice performance to develop character, to develop tone. They have to communicate quite a bit. Um, the the example that I like to joke about is is uh, Marlon Brando, who famously, you know, people say that he mumbled his lines, but he didn't have the best diction. But he gave you so much with his face and with his even just with his breathing. And I think that tool set isn't available to actors who do voiceover, or you know, to do that live action tool set isn't available always to animators. So the voice has to do a lot of work. It's critical to who these characters are. So how would you go about choosing voices? Oh, well, uh, I think what you try to do when, when you're choosing voices for dubbing is you, you have to get a sense of what the essence of this character is, what the voice print or voice characterization, uh, to use Shock's uh, dubbing academy term, what that what that is, and then also with the essence and the overall performance of ability of the um, the actor. And you have to uh, do things like understand who this character is really well. You have to develop uh, a character profile for them. Uh, you have to get a sense of what their character arc will be like uh, so that you know when you hear the auditions from international voice talents who has the essence of that character, what Jacques calls the attitude, I, I call that the essence, like who this character is in and of themselves, who, whether or not they are able to, to handle that full performance for an entire series of a show, and do, does their voice meet the voice characterization requirements? If this person is 60 year, years old, this character is 60 years old, does their voice sound like the voice of a 60 year old person? If this person is an eight year old, are they a kid? You know, do they sound like a genuine child. Those are the I think those are the three elements that, that you have to cover when choosing a voice for dubbing. So I'd say, how would you decide? You know, this voice, this character goes with a squeaky voice, and this particular <laughs> character goes with a really deep sound. So I mean, these are based on certain prejudices and biases, I'm sure, or you know, it's purely imagination. Well, I think I think on some level it is. It, it's it's imaginative work. You have to. You know, we we use voice testing kit clips so we create a short one to two minute clip of sample scenes of this character and you have actors dub their auditions against those scenes so you really i think to, on some level you have to you, you watch those clips and you know and say to yourself do you believe this actor do they do you believe the beats the emotional changes that the character undergoes in each scene are those believable um you know if, if uh, you know for example Tom in Dragons of the Nine Realms, one of the characters that we cast, uh, that show is on Hulu and Peacock. That main character, we, is an adventurer. So every time you hear him speak um, and he's excited about something, you have to hear that adventure, you have to feel that. So that was one of our metrics for his characters. Do we hear, when we hear him speak, do we feel a sense of adventure? Do we want to go where he's going? Uh, so you, you develop all of these metrics that you need out of a talent and then you review the the voice samples, the, the auditions against that. And, and I would <laughs> add just a quick comment. Um, sometimes you need to um, correct a little bit the actor. Uh, you know, at Warner Brothers, I was sending a lot of comments 
to the directors and to the actors. It's not every time that uh, an actor can do the the voice right away. So sometimes you have to tell to tell him, okay, well, it's it's good, but maybe the pitch is a little bit low. Your uh, delivery is a little bit too soft for the character. So you know, it happens that we we ask a, a retest, and most of the time, after uh, after two times, uh, if the character and if the actor understands the character, they will be able to do it. And what about uh, age-appropriate casting, Shark? I mean, I, we have uh, certainly. I have received several character briefs stating a forty-year-old recording for a seventeen-year-old character. So, you know, what do you have to say about that? Um, well, we try to not have a forty-year-old doing a seventeen-year-old character because uh, you know some people are able to do amazing thing with their voices. Uh, mm-hmm. You know. Um, yeah, coming from Warner Brother, I, I'm, I'm going to talk to you about, about Mel Blanc, uh, who was doing practically all the Looney Tunes, going from uh, from Tweety Bird to Granny to ben, to Bugs Bunny to uh, to Tasmanian Devil to uh, Daffy Duck. So I had a few actors in the past able to do several voices with a huge range. It's like a singer, you know, you have two, three octaves, so that's fantastic. Um, but we and and I know will uh, will has a strong opinion about that. We we try to get kids to do kids. Obviously, it's not always the case because of the legal restrictions in most of the countries. Um, you know, you cannot uh, work with the kids on the uh, on the school days. You cannot work more by, than a certain number of hours. The parents have to be there, so it's a bit complicated to to work with kids. Uh, of course, DreamWorks is releasing a lot of theatrical, a lot of movies. So when uh, when there is a budget, this is great. When there is no budget, uh, you know, a, a lot of a lot of women. Um, can do a, a, a pretty good job um, uh, doing kids. But then you think that's forced? Would you say it sounds forced sometimes? Uh, yes, that's a, that's a question of uh, of casting. If you if you have to force your voice to to get to the right pitch, that's not good, you know. Uh, and and you can hear that immediately. Uh, so some people have a natural ability to raise their pitch and, and talk very high. So uh, these are the ones that can do the kids, but not everybody can do that. So sometimes, you know, I'll, I'll give you a situation. We face this paradoxical situation. They ask us to work with kids and then we work with kids and then they come up with a brief saying, you know, a feedback saying this isn't working. You know, the expression isn't great. The kid isn't sounding very excited. But, you know, sometimes it's it's just the way the kid sounds. He's not very excited about it. But when we go with females or uh, older people trying to do kid voices, you can exactly replicate the expression of the original is what I've seen because they're older, they understand better. So what do you yeah. have to say here? I would say that it's a, a lot of... Uh... It's a question of direction also. You know, if you work with kids, you have to have a director that understand kids, that can talk to them. The kid has to be motivated. Uh, a kid's doing a role when they understand the character is better. And I let Will uh, talk about that because I, I, we talked about that earlier. So go ahead, Will. Yes, absolutely. Well, I, 
I mean, first, first, I just want to say uh, I, I agree with Shock and with you, Raj, completely. It, uh, working with kids is is very difficult. Um, the one the one great thing with kids, though, is that once a kid has a certain acting ability and a certain level of technical skill, especially when it comes to dubbing, I think that's the sweet spot because up to a certain age, kids can't give a false note. They, they, their performances are really genuine and, and beautiful. And so once they achieve a, a certain level of technical mastery, you get these beautiful performances that are genuine and dynamic on the first take. Yeah. Um, the problem is that there's very few kids who are in that sweet spot. So you do spend a lot of time in, in the studio, you know, creating a situation for them or, or just letting them go off, you know, record lines wild and then your editor tries to put them in, you know, your, your sound oh engineer yes. tries to put them in. <laughs> But with all of that said, oh, and, you know, of course, the, the yes, the work restrictions, all of the, you, you have to have a really solid operations team who um, also is very patient. And I always say, thank God that I work with Suzanne Robbins and her team in operations at DreamWorks because they're amazing. Um, but with all of that said, I, I think a kid, when you have a kid doing a performance and in a kid role, it, there's a magic to it. And if you can replicate that magic in the dub, it's really, in the dubs, it's really worth it. And I think of, of Gabby Stallhouse. I was thinking of this this one specific example where the youngest character in Gabby Stallhouse is six or seven. So we had eight and nine year olds play that character, Baby Box. And Baby Box uh, puts the kids through crafting tutorials. And I swear when my daughter watches that, she hears, she can sense that Baby Box is a kid because Baby Box, you know, kids don't have the facility with language. So a word like facility, they'll take a little longer to pronounce it. And you can hear that that's a kid. And I think that tells kids who are watching that, look, this is really a kid doing this. So if they can do it, you can do it. And it gives kids sort of like that agency, that connection to the show that I think is is magical and, and worth trying to replicate in the dubs, despite how difficult it is. Wow. So I'm, I'm sure you've dealt with so many kids over these years. I'd like to ask you, has there been a situation where you've had to compromise on clarity of words, but retain the expression? I mean, yes, you you know that and that's okay. It's okay if uh, I think if you have a kid performing, and I think not so much as clarity as facility. You still need to be able to tell what that character is saying. But it's okay if you know the the diction isn't perfect, or if they take a little longer on a word because they have to struggle pronouncing it. And honestly, that's the sort of thing that I think audiences hear and they think is is just adorable. You know, that's. That you when, when audiences it when you hear a kid struggling over a large word it's it's both funny and adorable and I I think it, it it's creates cute, magic. It's cute. Yes. Uh, what would you say about characters that sing and have dialogues? That's a challenge. <laughs> <laughs> that's a big, that's a big challenge. You know, I I had this situation several times. Uh, when you can find an actor that can sing, you hit the jackpot. Great. It's perfect. Uh, it's not every time. Um, but um, when you don't have a character that can sing, you uh, an actor that can sing, you cast your, uh, your actor and after you try to do a voice match. You try to find an actor that, a singer that sounds like the, an actor. Um, and um, and you try to match that. Now, obviously, when you sing, you don't have exactly the same voice. Yesterday, yes. uh, Will gave me an example of who was your example? You oh, Tom Petty. Oh, Tom Petty. Yeah. yeah. So 
very different voice when he sings or when he talks, like most of the people. So, you know, it's a, it's a bit easier to match a, a singer with uh, with an actor than matching two actors together because uh, you know when you sing the the perspective is, is not the same most of the time in the movie you have a nice reverb you put a little bit of echo so you can you can trick a little bit you can mask the the, the issues <laughs> so so uh, which project has been particularly difficult or let me say which country is particularly difficult when it comes to looking for voice actors that can sing and speak together i don't know will uh, what you want to do i don't see any particular country where uh, it's more complicated they are all complicated <laughs> yeah I, i i agree and and you know i, I would have thought I, i would have thought that that uh, for example locales that that have smaller populations uh, like romania for example which is a relatively small country would be trickier to find talents in but romanian dubbing the the state of romanian dubbing overall is excellent so i think it doesn't really depend on on locale um yeah it 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 really honestly what what makes it difficult is sometimes aligning to to the roles uh some roles are trickier than than others but yeah i, I think i haven't really noticed that by locale i think sometimes especially when you're when you're working with studios studios that have um access to an acting school for example or who who have uh pipelines to develop talent uh and Jacques can, can speak that about about that much more extensively than i can but i think those studios end up being able to pull in talents more more continuously and so you get you're able to get better you know uh, a wider selection of kid talents or especially singing talents yeah so you've worked on so many titles would any any of you recall a funny incident about a particular project there's nothing funny about this job no i'm joking jack <laughs> <laughs> uh, you were talking to me something that happened in japan would you like to share that uh, something that happened in japan yeah uh, yes i was casting uh, I, I actually not I, I cast a, a guy to do Tasmanian Devil we were redoing the Looney Tunes and um and the the poor guy could not really compress his voice uh, like that you know and uh, and he tried he tried and in Japan the recording studios and and the and the control room are always separated and um so the actor is alone not like in other countries like France or Italy and uh, so the actor is completely alone and the director is speaking to to him through the through the glass so i tried to explain to my colleague uh, at the at this time um you know tell him to compress his voice tell him to push here and uh is on the front and, and the guy didn't understand so i i i said okay i go and so i opened the door of the studio i went to the recording room the guy was like petrified to see me coming because you never do that in japan and and i i put my two fingers on the front of the guy and i say oh push and push 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 and the guy said oh yeah yeah i say perfect continue and 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 we started to record and he understood Just, I just had to to point to him with my finger where to push uh, to push his voice. Uh, so that was pretty funny because everybody was really freaking out in the in the I'm studio. I'm sure someone just barging in and pointing straight at his throat. 
That must have been scary. <laughs> I did not kill him and he did very well. <laughs> <laughs> amazing, amazing things that we have to do to get it right. So um, how would you see the future in this field? We hear um, technology taking over humans. Do you think that's ever going to happen completely with dubbing or with no. people for animation? What would you I say? don't think technology will take over. You know, I, I, I did a, a few conferences in Europe about uh, AI and dubbing. And I was telling everybody uh, AI can really help the, the actors because AI can uh, get a lot of data uh, about the recording. So you can uh, you can help the actor with our uh, cloud recording system, uh, Studio Next. When we are recording, we know how many takes an actor needed to record a track. We know if they overloaded. We know um, a lot of uh, a lot of information. So this is really helping. The technology in this case is helping the actor and. You know, in dubbing, for the kind of dubbing we are talking about here, uh, I don't think the machine will replace um, the, the human. Now, if you want to have, um, if you if you do if you do uh, uh, e-learning or corporate video, yes, we can talk about uh, um, the, the the technology that can replace the actor, which is, by the way, in everybody's life when you are. Uh, when you are driving and you put uh, your navigator on the car, it's a it's a synthetic voice. It's not an actor telling you go right on this street or or go left. So, mm. will I don't know what you want to say about that. I I agree. I think um, I mean there's been a lot of discussion about uh, AI synthetic voices taking over, and I, I don't think they will. I think where where I'm really excited is whenever anybody talks about using AI to do the things that are difficult for human beings to do, but easy for AI. Uh, so for example, time coding, for example, it, it's very difficult for us to time code, but an AI, AI is, is doing that incredibly well. Uh, uh, it, you know, AI uh, systems for script formatting and, and uh, time code, that, that's amazing. And that for humans, that's very difficult. So I think I, I like the the places where I'm seeing AI, you know, like like with what Shock is talking about, AI to gather stats, which for us is very difficult, but for AI, it's very easy to process large amounts of information, um, uh, you know, and also some some of the 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 voice, the synthetic voice processing that we're hearing is very very exciting as well, um, but it still relies on a human performance. So I think those those areas are really exciting for me. So do you see a lot of new training centers opening up? Because every time we have, you know, this, these demands of new voices, new voices, push for new voices, push for new voices. So yeah. that's, uh, that's uh, everybody's problem. Uh, that, uh, that's Disney's problem, DreamWorks problem, Warner's problem, my problem, because I'm uh, as a vendor, I have to find a lot of actors. So that's why uh, at Transperfect, we created the Dubbing Academy. Uh, it's exactly for these reasons. Uh, we, we need more actors. We have more content and we need more actors. That's very simple. And, and, uh, and Will on, on, from the client side can, can tell you, I'm sure uh, he wants to hear more different voices every day. So who I, I mean, I want to hear the right voices, but, but yes, I, I, think, I think bringing in more actors into the pipeline is so, is so important. And, and working with kids, unfortunately, 
talents after you know a few years start to age out of, of their roles. So we need to hear more kids, unfortunately. So Jacques, as a client, as a vendor, who do you think is a difficult client? Is DreamWorks. Oh, no, I'm joking. <laughs> DreamWorks. Wow, 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 Jacques. <laughs> you, see, you, don't need, you don't need enemies when you have friends like that. <laughs> Uh, no, no, was, you know, everybody, everybody is, uh, is, is very demanding, which is normal when you release a theatrical call uh, on the client side, uh, Warner, Disney, DreamWorks, Paramount, Universal, you want, uh, you want the best voices you can find, you want the best dubbing, which is absolutely normal. So, you know, we try to be as professional as we can. Um, everybody is as difficult as... Uh, as um, as they can, and as and and they should, they should be uh, difficult. Uh, yes, I know. What about you, Will? I mean, you've worked with across so many projects, and will work with I know numerable, numerous actors. Who do you think is difficult to work with as a client, or do you have certain uh, predetermined notions? You know, if I'm working for Disney this is what I'm going to do. If, if it's going to be some other client, this is what I'm going to do. Now you're doing dream work. So, you know, this is what you want. I mean, I think what, what I've tried to, working on the studio side, what, what I always, um, I did, I, I wanted, it wasn't so much the, 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 the clients who were demanding. We wanted demanding clients. We wanted clients who expected the dubs to be at a very high level in terms of quality. But I think in terms of, what was really helpful was when the client gave us insight into their production process when they could answer questions. And so now being on the, on the studio side, that's what we try to do. And um, that's, that's the, the reason that our department has a standalone creative team. The idea is that we're the bridge to the production team. We, if, if any questions do come up, if, if we want to know, you know, what is the relationship of what character to the other and, and this yeah. isn't something that we can get, get from the script this is something that we can ask the the line producer or the uh, you know executive in charge so this is what we try to provide we we, we are demanding we, want, we do want the best talent available in each locale for each one of our characters but i think what we try to do is also provide the studios as much information on each character on 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 each show on where the show's going to go where each character is going to go I like to, um, and Jacques, Jacques, I think, I hope you, you like this, this example as well, because it's, it's related to jazz, but I like to compare it to bebop jazz, where those musicians have a lot of creative liberty in each song, but it's only because they are fully constrained by the structure of the song. Every single musician in bebop jazz group knows every single chord change in each song. They can do that song backwards and forwards, and they're restricted by that song, but once they're all on that same page about what that song is, they can take incredible leaps of, of creativity, of collaboration. And I think that's what we try to give the studios is we try to give them the structure of the shows, what, what is necessary of each character, what each character's essence is, so that then they can take these leaps of cultural localization, leaps of localization, I suppose, you know, where, where they can find culturally who... Tom Cullerson from Dragons of the Nine Realms is in Latin American Spanish, or who uh, Ari from Team Zanko Go is in German. You know, they, they find who these characters are uh, because they know what these characters have to do, what their essence is, what their 
place in the story is. So yeah. that's and so we can be very demanding, but I hope also give the, the studios that yeah. creative agency to make really it, smart choices. It, yeah, educating your vendor is most important. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. And there, there has been uh, increasing use of accents now in English dubbing, if you talk about there's, there's use of Spanish, there's use of French. So, you know, is that something that we're going to see now increasing? I mean, yes, we. Oh, please, Shai. No, no, I was going to say the dubbing worldwide is, is increasing. And the last five years uh, were very interesting because the Americans never did dubbing. And, and, and suddenly, uh, you know, the states are, are discovering the dubbing. I remember a few years ago uh, in America, you were just redoing the movie. You know, uh, you had a hit in French or in, in France or in Italy. You were just redoing completely the movie. Uh, now they start dubbing, which is very interesting. What about you, Will? What do you think? I mean, there's increasing use of accents. Well, I, I mean, I agree. I, 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 first, I, I agree with Jacques about it. it's, it's exciting that we're seeing more dubbing into English. Um, and and it's it's interesting to see a a form a, a standard be developed for that dubbing and and it's interesting to see audiences get used to what dubbing is in in a way that I think English language U.S. audiences haven't really been used to but in in Latin America for example I, I grew up watching movies dubbed into Spanish a lot of the time and so you sort of develop this ear for for what dubbing is and it seems it, it becomes normal to you. So it's exciting to see that happen in the United States. But uh, and then, oh, pardon. But and I was going to say, but in terms in terms of accents in domestic productions, hmm. I think when you dub, translating those accents is, is often really tricky. And I think you have to you have to determine whether that accent is something that is is essential to that person's to that character or to their cultural background. If you have somebody with a French accent, is because their storyline takes them back to their home country of France, for example, in which case you have to figure out how to replicate that in the different locales. Uh, but sometimes it, you know, you'll just have a random villain with, uh, to use a total cliche, a Eastern European accent because that, that registers as villainous. And in those cases, you try to figure out what that character's purpose in the story is, what this accent does. So then you can replicate it locally in a way that's appropriate to the story. Yeah, and depending on the language, is uh, accents always have a connotation. You know, in Europe, the, the southern Europe, south of Italy, south of France, relaxed people, you, you know, they are uh, on the advertising, they are always uh, talking about food and about vacation. And the north of Italy or the north of France is always serious people. We talk about computers, etc. So, you know, the accent uh, has a very strong connotation that sometimes you have to adapt the accent to follow the, the character of an original, uh, uh, an, an, an original character. You have to adapt your, the accent in different countries to, to, to adapt it the best you can. For us here in India, when we see different, it's, it's like watching a new culture altogether, you know, something that has Spanish, something that has French, something that has Italian or Korean. So we get an insight into the kind of culture, the kind of uh, domesticity of the product, which is amazing. And then we have the big question, how do we replicate that in our regional language here? 
but somehow then you know we reach out to the creative producers and yes they have all the answers always so uh, this is such a vast topic i mean it's it's we can just go on and on about it but i think now let's call it a session and let's let's keep the viewers wanting more and waiting for more so uh, with uh, wills increasing number of projects and his um expertise in his direction i'm sure we'll get to see something really nice in future and with jacques and his dubbing academy coming up i'm sure we'll have several new additions to the voice talent pool we'll try <laughs> <laughs> absolutely so uh, i i hope we can take this to another level thank you so much for talking with me i had the most amazing time chatting with you thank you very much thank you will thank you raj thank you shak thank you raj it's been a pleasure join us next time when we share more stories about elevating the art and science of global storytelling